Welcome back to part two of our two-part episode with Simon England. In this episode, we continue our discussions with Simon on optimizing business with technology, the process and some of the pain points, as well as much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to dissect pain points by quote to cash process. But before I get there, I have another query on technology. How I know you talked about Excel, like death by Excel in these firms, but how often had they traditionally taken on building their own solution because they saw themselves as being unique, they couldn't find the right technology, and therefore took it on? I think increasingly less so. So in the past, yes. And we see some massive platforms that have either been created largely in-house, but most large organizations haven't been able to get away with that for that long. But importantly, we still see a lot of legacy platforms that have been configured or customized to death. And that obviously becomes pretty challenging to maintain. It's an, it's an unsustainable strategy. And you look at the technological aspects and enhancements with the cloud, you can't really now sustain that for very long without actually shifting to some kind of modern architecture. So to answer your question, increasingly less so because most organizations can't get away with it. Perfect. So let's dive in a little bit deeper and we'll get to what are some of the considerations that such firms should have when they are making a technology choice and implementing it. But before that, I wanted to dive in and understand some of the pain points. For example, when you look at the quote to cash, you you mentioned at a high level that sales process is very unique at these firms. It's very much relationship growth versus let's create a pipeline and track it through. Let's start there. How is it unique and what are some of the ways to tackle that? I suppose moving left to right, starting with sales and business development. I would say it's always an area for any organization. It's always a pain point to trying to get rigor and the right quality of data in the sales process and sales cycle. You know, I've been doing this long enough in enough firms to have spent a lot of my life working with BD and sales colleagues to try to get that right. So it's not unique to consulting. The difficulty with consulting is often it's even more fragmented. So you kind of don't have a sales team. You have 600 partners, senior managers, all of who are selling around the place, all in a slightly different way, probably all pricing using their own spreadsheets slightly differently. There is often quite a lot of inherent pain on trying to understand the pipeline. And it's back to forecasting. So understanding the pipeline what's happening with opportunities, how you can bring the best talent to bear, is pricing repeatedly and consistently, pricing for value rather than just by habit. This is often an area of pain for most consulting organizations to some extent or another. And the second thing is if you flow through is it's back often to the system disconnect, is then the gap between selling and delivery and often then from selling to delivery to capturing time to billing, 
quite often there are chasms in between all of those steps. And there might be some interfaces automation, there might be manual rekeying, God knows whatever else. But that brings cost and effort and misalignment of data often. So you're trying to get line of sight for a customer from sales contracting through delivery, through billing, and keeping a tight eye on profitability back to cost of sale is often really hard to do. It sounds simple, but it's very, very hard to do. Those are some of the, it's kind of the horizontal connect, if you sort of understand, is quite tough. Yeah, I can imagine. I want to dive into how do you then address that? How do you address that complexity? But I do want to focus a little bit on resource management specifically, because I know a lot of times, a lot of the models are pod-based type resource allocations or decentralized resource management versus, yes, we say through maturity, you get to a centralized resource management ability and, and structure, then you can optimize potentially your talent and how you're using your talent. But I know that's not the structure within a partnership, right? So how do you see things evolving? Have things changed? How do you consult your consulting firms, right, in terms of that whole resource management side of things? The first point, and you touched on it, is it's not binary. So I think the key thing is not moving from one very localized or pod-based type resourcing to let's centralize everything. The answer often lies in some kind of multi-layer type approach. So if you look at some of the consulting specialisms, you know, if you're wanting expert legal advice in an M&A transaction, that's not going to be a big talent pool. Even in the big organizations, you know, you might be talking five or six people in a country or, or something like that. So you're always going to need to be able to micro schedule based with real expertise and knowledge. But at the other hand, you're then going to want to take a more regional or service line or strategic view to where you're putting your talent and how you're deploying your talent and the skills and capabilities and talent you're attracting and keeping in the organization. So and we have seen some companies try to do this, where they swing the pendulum from one to the other, and it never fits. It's more complicated than that. But actually, this is where the technology really helps, because typically what you can do is it can provide you with the information to be able to manage those talent pools in a more sophisticated way. So arguably, you can still get the subtlety where you need to have the subtlety, but you can get the layers of data to inform your regional or more strategic view on how you manage your talent pools. So I think it's an and strategy, not an or strategy. Right. It, I can imagine just thinking about the skills database, right, at firms, especially the large ones, right, making sure those are up to date because the technology can only do so much. You've got to have process to make sure that the information is sustained and everything else. I would imagine that in itself must be a whole initiative. As you probably know, it's a notorious area of challenge. 
from a process point of view, from a technology implementation point of view, and all the rest of it, because any sizable organization has an inherent level of complexity in that. And the problem is, particularly with technology skills, it's evolving at an unbelievable speed. So trying to get that consistent lexicon and structure to be able to do that in a useful and relevant way is often really, really hard. And again, we find ourselves encouraging people almost to strip back to the basic because these things have evolved over time. And actually what they really need is back to a bit of a refresh, a review, some simplification where it is possible. And often that hasn't been done for years. They've just grown and evolved. So again, there isn't a really simple, nice, neat answer, but often it does need challenging, cutting through and a pretty fundamental review in a lot of cases. I think. So understandings that it's a very different mindset, culture, and just operational complexities that they're working through. What's important to consider or get right if the consulting firm is planning to implement new software solutions? I'm sure that Garwood gets involved in many cases, right? What are some of the considerations to enable and optimize their business using the technology? There are some important things to, to really get right. That I would probably argue that they are important in any professional services firm. But I think there are a few things that if you don't get right, you're more likely to fail if you ignore these things. So there's probably less tolerance if you get these things wrong. So the first thing is this whole conversation. You kind of can't wade in and assume that you know how the organization actually operates and the culture and mindset and what's important. You do have to spend some time really understanding that inherent complexity, the breadth, the depth, the culture, the mindset, and the differences in the ways of working. If you presume that and just wade in, it'll probably go wrong, first of all. And actually, that's quite interesting I've been doing big IT deployments all of my career, and and it's ever been thus to a certain extent. But if you come in with a nice, neat methodology, which is here, here is a software solution, let's just configure it, test it, and put it live. Unless you picked a pretty small and pretty simple consulting firm, you're going to get burnt. Okay, so you need to adapt your methodology to take the time up front to really understand. Okay, so it's not boilerplate type stuff. I think. Second key consideration, I think, is back to the convergence and harmonization. When you've understood that, you kind of need to work with the organization to try to simplify it as much as possible. If you build another technology layer on top of some of that complexity, God help you. You'll be bending systems and configurations and God knows whatever out of tune so far, it's unbelievable. So actually investing time to try to harmonize is pretty important. The third thing which really links to all of that is organization and change management. Business change has been essential in IT-enabled change programs forever. It still amazes me how often it gets deprioritized or does not get enough budget or time and attention focused on it. I think past history, if 40 or 50% of your budget on a program of change is not on that organization change management, you'll end up paying for it later, some way or another. So it's pretty critical. And then 
I'm just sort of almost connecting these things. And then the final thing is the business engagement. So if you kind of do any of these programs in isolation or often just working with a back office function, maybe in finance to implement it, God help you. Because a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's front end business. It's how you sell and deliver work day in, day out. And if you don't have the right engagement from the people who are generating money and margins for your business, it isn't going to work either. So actually that SME engagement is really critical consistently through the program, the right people, the right roles, the decision makers, the people who really know how the business operates. It sounds really obvious, but again, it doesn't always happen. And that's when the wheels can fall off and you get issues later and you don't achieve the value that you expected and all the rest. These things really are business, not technically driven change programs. I know that's obvious, but it is worth repeating. No, I, I wanted to actually dive in a little bit deeper on a, on a couple of those things, because like you said, going in as a technology provider with your standard, here's my five phases of implementation stages, let's, let's dive in and let's mobilize, is not going to work, right? There almost has to be a transformation, understanding a big part that's invested in understanding the business, understanding and driving because the synergies are not going to be there, right? You're going to uncover complexity that has to be simplified. So uh, Absolutely. And, and sometimes it actually will take a, a reasonable amount of time for the business to go away and think about that. And often what these programs do is they raise questions back on the business and they're good questions and they can't be answered in an hour. Yeah, they actually need time for the business to go away and consider them and work out what is actually going to be the best approach. And I see that happening a lot where you get a methodology, where you get a process, a sprint process or whatever it is, and it maintains a pretty rapid cadence. And what you end up with is the business just gets left behind. And at some point, things will grind to a halt because there's just a backlog of really important things that probably should have been considered or should have had time baked in to be considered very reasonably. So I think kind of expecting you can take a methodology and just, and we'll crack on through this, we'll use the standard processes to do it and it should work out fine. You'll be very lucky if that's ever successful, I suspect. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. It's a fine balance, right? There's a lot of pressure Correct. When you're a technology provider and speaking to a customer like a consulting firm where they're asking for quick time to value, it's like, okay, we've got this proven methodology, we'll come in. But you bring up a great point. And, you know, a lot of times I think clients appreciate it when they're challenged, when you go into that situation to say, you know, yeah, we do have a proven methodology, but these are all the other considerations have you thought through them and, and and help them process that? I mean, that's absolutely right. And it does take some balance to get the messaging right. And often you need to have those conversations at the right level in the organization. Because with the greatest respect, if you're on a project that's buried within the IT function or the finance function, frankly, the people you probably need to be having the conversation with is actually the CFO or the COO or somebody else who will understand that with the greatest effect, but will understand that. And I think some of it is trying to bring 
without scaring the horses and saying, oh, actually, we kind of know you've got to add six months on to do this. You've got to expand this. And actually, it's going to take 18 months. Nobody's going to want to hear that. So I think to a certain extent, what you have to do is explain as the customer goes through that process, what types of questions and issues are probably likely to surface. And actually, what we find quite quickly, then a lot of our our clients go, okay, we get that. Therefore, we're going to need to do this work ourselves, or we're going to need to spend enough time to do this, or we're going to need to engage with people in the right way. So it's kind of a bit of a careful and thoughtful process as to how you work through that conversation, I I think. I wanted to dive into the subject matter expert, and I think it's a word that's thrown around in projects very loosely, I believe. And I think you referenced the criticality of the subject matter expert in having them engage from the beginning to the end, right at the right points, doing the right thing. But I think the other consideration that is not always thought through when selecting who those subject matter experts are is how influential those subject matter experts are. Because I really believe that they will be a change agent, right? And if they are individuals that are influential in the organization, then that's a very key consideration for how you manage change and how you influence that change. So wanted to get your thoughts on that. No, no, it's absolutely right. And, and, you know, we have a standard page of characteristics or considerations for SME selection that we use time and time and time again, because we get, we get asked this by our clients the whole time. And you're right that they do have to be the right people. And it's often difficult and painful springing the right people out of the day-to-day jobs they do. And, but that's the whole point. Normally the people that you need are the people who are the hardest to get. So you do need the people who have the depth and understanding and have understood the organization and how it works for some time, clearly. You do need to represent the relevant roles front to back and across an organization. If you end up with an organization being represented by the back office, you're not going to get a good outcome. Conversely, if you end up with a team of purely salespeople, you're going to end up only with one view of the organization and its constraints. And I know that's obvious, but often that balance is not considered. And the different roles. There's real subtlety often in what admin assistants or billing administration or project admin people are actually doing. And you kind of need to lift the lid. So they all need to be there. But they do need to be people who can also make decisions and are not necessarily welded or perhaps concreted into the way it's always been done. So getting people in the debate who can see there might be different ways of doing things is critically important as well. It is important because they become really important change agents because they've been on that journey with you. Right. Tackling the change management piece, because I completely concur with you, consulting firm or otherwise, I think that piece is always potentially underestimated by organizations. And part of the challenge is the fact that technology providers are great at implementing their solution, right? They've developed methodologies to do that effectively and efficiently. So 
so they don't necessarily have the expertise and the skill sets. No, and it's it's but it's quite interesting just to reflect on what what you're just saying. I think I can say this because all of my career I've been a consultant, okay, and a managing partner in Accenture for a long time. So I can say this, I hope, with reasonable integrity and humility. But despite the ability and talent in all of these consulting organizations, they don't know what they don't know. Okay, so you can have the best organization change people, the best SI and technology people in these organizations working on project teams with you, which is really, really important. But often they haven't actually been on the internal journey. They haven't done an internal technology-enabled change journey inward to their own organization. And it sounds as though it'd be really obvious to do that, but in our experience, which is frankly why we exist, is they often need help and people looking in from outside, which again, you know, it's back to the reason why do you need consultants? That's the reason. You need somebody outside who can help you on the journey, you know. Can can bring fresh eyes and independent eyes because irrespective of what, yeah, a challenge, yeah, challenge at the right places. That's very interesting. So, I guess the thing that I wanted to stress was partnering the technology provider implementer, partnering with Garwoods of the world, right? To make sure that there's a fine balance between the implementation aspects of the technology, but also the overarching managing change, getting processes aligned and making sure that there is an independent voice of reason right, that comes to this process? It's just keeping enough business focus. And I know, again, it sounds really obvious, but it's it's all about business value. So how do you keep that firmly in mind and absolutely embedded in the process as you go through it. It's critically important. So any last thoughts around, obviously, we, we come across as together, Cantata and, and Garwood, in implementing our Cantata solution for PSA enablement, right, in consulting firms and otherwise. But again, you've talked about various aspects that are critical to make, making sure uh, success. But any last thoughts on how that selection process inputs into that selection process, and then implementation considerations to make sure that they're going to meet their desired outcomes. I mean, the first comment that I'd make is that it is worth it. And I know that sounds perhaps slightly trite, but actually, these platforms and what they can do, and obviously, I would use Cantata as a specific example, but it's obviously not the only answer to different parts of the life cycle. If done in the right way, the difference that they can truly make and the value that can be delivered is properly transformational if it is done in the right way. So just I've seen some companies and some really recent examples where it's been a challenging journey, but they've got on board, they've evolved their usage of these systems, and then what it allows them to do 
whether it's managing talent better or managing the profitability of the business or winning more business is outstanding. Okay. So I think the goal sounds obvious. It's quite hard to get there, but it is definitely worth persevering. And I think those organizations that are most open-minded to that degree of change do best. Okay. I think to your question about selection and consideration, we have a a kind of interesting and I would say rather privileged position in the technology marketplace, be it PSAs, CRM, ERPs, in the professional services sector. We're one of the few people who have worked with lots of different companies across lots of sectors in various parts of the world. And we've helped our clients select a lot of different platforms. And we know a lot of the solutions very well. The key thing, as always, is normally what you can do is if you understand what's really important to a business, then actually you can normally shortlist what is really going to work in that firm within about five minutes. Okay, But the key is really understanding back to the essence of the firm and what's really, really important. Because, yeah, there are some things, if you're trying to do revenue recognition in a certain way, you're trying to get certain operational data in a certain way, or you're trying to connect to this because you want that horizontal view, then you kind of go, okay, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. Those are the two you choose from. So cut through it. Then I think it's back down to the old-fashioned stuff, which is it's all about people. Have you got the right team? You know, you're going to get the right people, the right team, when you need them to do the right things. And I would probably argue this is not meant to be a self-serving comment at all. You do need the right blend of product, technical, functional, business, change skills in your team. So again, you know, when you're going through the selection process, you've got to look very carefully at who you're partnering with. You've got to look very carefully at the team as a client that you can put on the ground. Okay. And you've got to make sure that you do actually fill the boxes and tick the boxes. And that's a really important conversation with whoever you select as your partners for that journey, I think. Perfect. Well, it's been great. I've really enjoyed our conversation. As our listeners know, I like to end with a personal question. I know I'm interested in hearing about new books and recommendations and just wanted to know what's on your reading list that you would recommend. Interesting. There are all kinds of business-specific books that I could probably mention, but I'm not going to. So let let me do something that's quite personal, but it is relevant, I think, and particularly to today's world. So I spend a lot of my time in India, and I've developed a deep passion for Indian history, culture, and art. And I love, which might sound strange as a Brit, but I love seeing the world from Asia and from India. And I'm really, really passionate about it. So I'm an avid reader of books on Indian history or fiction or essays or whatever. And the book that I've been reading recently is a book that's been around actually for a few years, written by a brilliant author called William Dalrymple, who actually, a bit like me, is a Brit, but he lives in Delhi. It's a book called Anarchy. And it's the history of the East India Company, 
right the way through from start to finish. And it is a riveting read. And the reason I say that is the East India Company ended up becoming the most commercially successful, powerful, biggest, dominant company in the history of the world so far. And then it obviously went very wrong and did some really terrible things. And I think for leaders of big companies, actually, it's a great book to read just to get some reflections and lessons from past history. And some of it is so topical to today's world. It is quite frightening. So that is the book that I would recommend. Excellent. It's on my list. I've got a lot. I've got a big list, but <laughs> but definitely sounds yeah. very interesting. That's actually, India is one of my bucket lists that I haven't made too. So just hope that I can have the opportunity to go to India. But thank you, Simon. It's been amazing having you on. And I hope that we can have another conversation, maybe a year down and of course. share your learnings. Appreciate it. As always, we love to hear from our listeners. If you have any follow-up questions for myself or Simon, reach out at podcast at cantata.com. Thanks, Simon. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts, on any podcast app. And to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.